This is a podcast from the Royal Court Theatre. Series 2 was recorded over the summer of 2017. The following content may contain strong language. Welcome to the second series of the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights podcast with me, Simon Stevens. I first encountered the plays of Howard Brenton right at the beginning of my life as a playwright. Before I'd properly written anything of my own, I saw a student production of his 1984 play Bloody Poetry, a dramatic and haunting consideration of the relationship between Percy and Mary Shelley and Lord Byron and Clermont. It was a play unlike any I'd seen at that time. It took a story that was familiar and infused it with a startling sense of linguistic urgency and political interrogation. It was a revelation to me as an 18-year-old that playwriting could synthesise such elements with such force. Bloody Poetry is, according to Wikipedia, one of the 50 plays that Howard Brenton has written since his debut, Ladder of Fools, written while still an undergraduate at Cambridge, premiered in 1965. For half a century, he has returned to the theatre with inspiring energy and imagination. At the end of the 60s, he was part of the touring company Portable that brought new plays to areas of the country that had little engagement with them before. In Brassneck and Pravda, he wrote with David Hare two of the great collaborative plays of the last few decades. Collaboration with other writers is something he has returned to. He was also an early collaborator with Max Stafford Clark when his joint stock company produced Epsom Downs in 1977. He was fundamental to the foundations of the National theatre. Hare directed his Weapons of Happiness as the first commissioned play in the Littleton. In 1980, his Romans in Britain earned the ire of moral campaigner Mary Whitehouse, and the play's director was taken to trial under the obscenity laws. He has returned repeatedly to this theatre, to the Royal Court, over the course of the last 50 years. He's written new English language translations of masterpieces by Buchner and Brecht, Goethe and Strindberg. His plays have often dramatised lives that are known. While bloody poetry looked at Shelley, his early Christian love remains a startling study of the killer John Christie. In recent years for the National Theatre, he has considered the lives of the Apostle Paul and Harold Macmillan in Paul and Never So Good, respectively. And his latest play, The Blinding Light, which has just opened at the German Street Theatre, explores the desires and creative madness of August Strindberg. He is a writer of linguistic steel and intellectual interrogation and a constant and searching voice in the territory of political drama. He was also one of the originating writers of the television crime drama Spooks. Howard Brenton, welcome to the Royal Court. Thank you very much. <laughs> the um, It's a difficult thing to synthesise such a considerable career in an hour, so I, I've no real idea how I'm going to start, but so I, I think I'll start right at the beginning with a question that I ask a lot of writers, um, which is when did you first go to the theatre? Oh, uh, Arthur Askin, a pantomime, at the <laughs> King's Theatre in... Portsmouth when I was six I never forgot it I thought he was a genius 
What was his genius? What do you remember? Uh, do you well, remember I remember, now? I remember you... a dumb show. He was playing wh- Whiddle, Whiddle Twanky. Was it? Or Twinky? Twanky. Twanky, yeah. Twanky. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and the... And the, the I, I remember a dumb show he did behind a sheet. Oh, wow. I thought, this is magic. And that's my first magical memory. Arthur Askey behind a white sheet. It's <laughs> yeah. a beautiful yeah. image. And um, you were raised in Portsmouth, right? Is that right? No, I was born in Portsmouth. Okay. I was raised, raised in Bognor Regis. What, what, and, uh, what's Bognor Regis like? I've never been. I don't know anything about it. I haven't been back for 40 years. Apparently mm. it's been flattened now, you know. But it was a, a faded Victorian sea-fronted town... Um, um, I mean, it was a magical place, really, because because right. it was this was back in the fifties, and um, you could get on your bike and go up into the downs, you know, go to Blonga, to to Bosom or or, or Sulzy Bill. Uh, you just wandered over the landscape um, without any inhibition, you know, which I don't think child childhoods are like that anymore. That sense of freedom or fearlessness. Well, I remember that we would go and play in what we called the ponds, which were three circular ponds outside the town. And we'd get tadpoles, frogs, you know, from from the ponds. There were, of course, bomb craters dropped (laughs) by a retreating uh, uh, German plane that had not, you know, just unloaded its bombs. Which were perhaps unexploded bombs. No, well, no, they exploded. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it often happened. Planes didn't actually make it to London, or they gave up, yeah. or they were terrified, or they emptied, came back and just dumped them the anywhere. Load. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so we were just playing in bomb oh. craters filled with water. Uh, health and safety childhood, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was it a childhood uh, in which you engaged with theatre a lot? Was theatre an, ex- an unusual thing, or were you raised with theatre? Oh, I went to a grammar school right. in, in Chichester, yeah. school plays. Uh, there was a local amateur, um, uh, David Wood, do you know, the, the children's I, writer? I know and the great, name, David lovely Wood. Actor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We were at school together. Wow. And we, were, uh, we won a... a, a a drama cup, I remember. <laughs> we were, were playing and um, uh, doing um, scenes from The Importance of Being Earnest. So, so, and my father was an amateur director, you know. Right. Um, right. He, uh, he would, um, and I used to imitate him as a child. And I uh, would take um, a, an exercise book, and I remember writing a little play when I was about 11, for my friends to perform in one of their gardens. And it, I was copying my father, really. I had an exercise book. Right. And I'd covered it in brown paper in the way that he would cover the, 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 the Sam French comedies that he did for the local Ams. Sam Dram, you know. Oh, uh, so, uh, so there was a kind of theatrical tilt, but the family weren't in the business at all or anywhere near it. The, uh, I love the notion of of starting as a child, kind of writing plays as a means of kind of playing. You, but did you, know, did you do that? Uh, I I I don't think I wrote plays in that way. But the notion of being a writer was part of my imaginative life. Yes, from quite early on. Yes, but for me, I would pretend to be. Uh, like pretend to be a journalist. I remember getting some when I was about ten, getting friends round to my house with the the, the idea that we we're going to set up a newspaper together. Yeah, and we never did anything, and the point wasn't to do anything. The point was just to pretend to be a yes. writer. But uh, it's strange when you know suddenly know you're a writer. I think I think I was about fifteen, 
and I wrote a short story. The 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 the, the, the grammar schools were really yeah. driven in those days, right? And you you had to do an essay a week. Wow. And I and one was write a short story about anything. So I wrote a short story, and when the master handed the books back to the class, mine wasn't handed out, and he said, "See me after school." And so I went and knocked on the staff room door. It's absolute. This was when I knew I was a writer. And he looked down at me and said, "All right, Brenton, where did you steal it from?" He thought I copied this. Did he believe you? Yeah. Well, he realised yeah. I was absolutely devastated, and he then took it and wrote ten out of ten <laughs> on it. <laughs> and I knew I was a writer then, as you know. It's a really that was a beautiful kind of epiphany, or, or oh, this is this notion know. that well, it's an interesting thing—the notion of being a writer, the noun a writer, as opposed to the verb writing. Yeah, it's a really. I think when you're starting out, it's something that you really aspire to mm. be. Yeah. Often for me, you know, the kind of background I had, it was because I wasn't, you know, and I wasn't from writers. Yes. The idea of being a writer was almost yeah. as exciting as writing. But and the older I get, the more I do it, the more I think actually the point is not the noun, the point is the verb. The point is to write, not to be a writer. Yes. But um, was writing something you always loved? Did you enjoy the process? Yes. Yeah. Yes. But I was a late developer. I I I, I didn't. Um, I was left-handed, and they tried to make you write right-handed in in my Did primary really? school, and so I was all a bit messed up, and I couldn't read un- properly until I was quite quite late, eight right. or nine, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. Scraped through the eleven plus of the day, right. uh, so so I sort of came to it late, and I I always had a kind of word blindness. I was bad at spelling. It's got much better over mm-hmm. six, <laughs> sixty-five years of doing this, but uh, or sixty years of doing this. Um, and I've often think that actually there is a struggle that people who, who do write actually have a struggle with it. Do, do, do you? Do yeah, you think go on. That? No, I'm interested the, in what the, you mean. The, sorry, it was interesting. D. H. Lawrence could never spell properly. Apparently. Right, very good. You know that there was a kind of. They also also I was told, oh, Joyce couldn't spell properly, and I thought, my God, that's a relief. Finnegan's Wake <laughs> 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 is just bad it's, spelling. It's, it's, it's yeah, <laughs> or, it, or, it, or it was what he wanted to do. Finally wow. corrected from. I mean, from having the idea corrected, of bad, get the bad beautiful. spelling out of Finnegan's Wake. That's really beautiful. Yeah. But there was a, a kind of tension about it. And was it a tension you enjoyed? You, yes, you must have returned to it. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember what you enjoyed about it, or? That tension. Well, I'm like many um, many playwrights mm. that I I wanted really. Uh, uh, I, I had a period anyway in my teens of wanting to be a painter, an artist, and in fact I got into an art college, um, Corsham Court in mm. Bath, mm-hmm. and um, I I you know I'm afraid it was a bit like, and uh, a good friend said you are completely mad. You've got to go to university and, and write. As opposed I don't know to why are you yeah. going to... And, and he was correct. Somehow I blagged my way into this art college, I think. By, I, don't, I mean, it was it, a bit like Hitler's portfolio, you know. Because <laughs> when, when Hitler tried to get into an art college, they, they, it said, it said um, few hands and fewer heads. <laughs> So, you know, 
but but the visual thing never leaves you. Do yeah. you find that? Uh, well, I, and, and playwriting is a very visual thing. Yeah, I'm interested. You see in, them. You see. Yeah. You carry a theatre in your head. Yes, good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's certainly something that other writers on the podcast, David Hare, has talked about, and clearly a collaborator and friend yeah. of yours for a long time, talks about crystallising plays in terms of images. Yes. And um, so it's interesting that that was... You do see it, see it. I mean, yeah. some a writer like I, Charles Wood, someone I always right. admired, you know, he was a very good artist. Yeah. Strindberg was the best Swedish painter, really. Was he really? Great Swedish painter, yeah, great painter. Lee, and Ibsen had, uh, I love the, when I was working on the version, I wrote a version of A Doll's House, I love the idea that he had a toy theatre yes. that he kept on his desk. Yeah. And he would just create stage images while he was writing. I didn't know like that. Like in a kind of model did. box. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really lovely thing. So you when know, did you write your first play? <sighs> the f- and, you, and you can well, confess for I, the first time. Well, I do remember writing a, a huge thing in my early teens about, which was... Hitler coming to power, Hitler, Hitler's early days, and it was a huge thing. And I, you know, uh, when you were and, thirteen or fourteen, yeah. Or something, and yeah. then, and then when I was, uh, was you, did it ever have any? Do you ever show it to anybody? No, no. Right. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really know what I was doing. And when I was a student, I wrote a play, um, which was done at the the student theatre, the ADC at Cambridge, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which was an absolute disaster. <laughs> I mean, I cannot tell you the humiliation. <laughs> it was it was very subgene, you know. It was, it was a lot about butterflies and meat. And, and there was one speech, 20 minutes long. 20 minute long speech, largely about meat and butterflies and stuff. And, and the record walkout was 40 during the speech. So, which meant that every... 30 seconds you heard a seat go <laughs> and I it put the fear of God into me actually mm. it really put the fear of God into me and I wrote another play um, why which did I, you write another play then I, if, I just, put, if I he's just put the fear, fear of God in you what, what, what? well I, I, I had to write another play I right. just you know I couldn't let it go and I made it so concentrated so determined never to bore me yeah. <laughs> that, that and we it was done. We did it with an ad hoc company and toured it around mm. uh, Ireland with it. Mm-hmm. Um, went to the Dublin Festival, then went out to Cork with it. Wow. And um, the extraordinary thing was because of the fear of, of, of the audience. Yeah. In my first play. Yeah. I concentrated it, and it was funny. Great. And I hadn't realised it was funny when I was writing it. Great. You see. Yeah. And it was just the sheer concentration um, that turned. That I'd suddenly got the knack. You see what I mean? And that that, that and, um, go on. yeah. That gear change is an amazing image. To yeah. From people walking out every thirty seconds. Yeah. To having an audience laugh at places yeah. you hadn't realised there was laughter. There was another. I've I've destroyed all copies of this play, <sighs> but Nicholas Kent, Nick Kent, <laughs> was in it. Was in it. The tricycle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Was in it. Has he and still he, got his copy? Yes. He ha- whenever I met him, he holds it like a sword of Damocles, <laughs> saying, he says, Comrade, if you step out of line. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's yeah. really brilliant. Yeah. The, that was Cambridge you went to university, yeah? yeah? Uh, how did you find Cambridge? Was oh, it- I blew up. What do you I, mean? Well, I was a lower middle class boy right. with, with loaded with, with A-levels from mm-hmm. a grammar school. Mm-hmm. 
I was supervised with a guy who became a very friendly with, but who who had got fifty five at English and was an ex guards officer, and oh. he's and. I only got in because I turned up with a C&D badge on. This was the Cambridge of the, the, the early 60s, folks. The meretricious Cambridge now. It wasn't anything like that. And the supervisor said, oh, it'll be amusing to supervise that fellow with the C&D badge with this guards officer, right? Because you were taught in pairs. And I only got in because I was wearing the badge. <laughs> now because of the A-levels. Wow. So... so you know, it was like, and I, I, I sort of blew up. I, d- I did lots of things, and um, we ran magazines, and right. you know, and and blew up in an exciting way or in a I, self-destructive I, I, way. Or self-destructive, right? Yeah, particularly in the third year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I discovered that um, I couldn't deal with the the this 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 sounds if I was class angry. No. I wasn't really, but mm-hmm. but there was a thing where called the buttery. Which supplied, and that was basically the 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 college off license, right? right okay. And you could just put an order in, a piece of slip a bit of paper at the the lodge, yeah. and a waiter would turn up with a bottle of Burgundy, right? And I, <laughs> and I, I built up this huge drinks bill with my mates, and I couldn't pay it at the end of the thing, and I had to run away <laughs> and I, I ran I ran away to Oxford because the play that had been on at the ADC was put on for a week it was midsummer at their playhouse in Oxford yeah. and papered largely with the policemen <laughs> so, so so you know so I was oh, I don't know anyway um, it sounds funny but you were you, you didn't there was this sense of I don't know, it was the 60s, you see, Yeah, it started. 65, 66, mm-hmm. 67 was around the corner. You felt you were walking on water. And so I went and be- I became a stage manager for a year, just walked into it, right. you know. Right. And, uh, and then, um, you know, uh, the, 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 the court sent a play to the court mm-hmm. and the court picked me up and Bill Gaskell. What was that play? It was a play which was again incredible failure. Yeah. It was. It was. It went on a double bill with yeah. a brilliant Joe Orton play. Was it a Sunday night? Yeah, yeah. They did them on a Sunday night. Yeah. And uh, they, the audience hated my little play. And of course, Orton's was mm. a classic. It was called Ruffin Under the Stair. Yeah. Which is, which is his only his, play at the Royal Court. One of his yeah. great yeah. short plays. Yeah. But Bill Gaskell said, "Don't worry." Um, I didn't have any money, and he said, "Don't worry, I'll get you a job. You can be a st- you can be a stagehand for six weeks, backstage." <laughs> right. So I joined the stagehands here, <laughs> and then he said, "Oh, I've got a job with an ex-press officer for you in an office, and we'll commission a play from you." And that play took about two years to write, and it went on in the theatre upstairs, which had just opened, or in '69. Yeah. And that, it was, it was called Revenge. Yeah, Revenge. Yeah, it was one of the first. It was second or third. It was very near Carol's first play up there. Right, right. Which was called Owners, was it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Owners. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. Mm. And then uh, that was that was it really. I've been doing other things. I, I got involved with uh, the Brighton Combination. There was a. What was the Brighton Combination? 
That was just what we would call fringe theatre. Now, in my memory, this is uh, something that Elise Dodgson yeah. was a really integral part Elise of. Elise was Elise part of it, now yeah. the head of the international department here. Yeah. And she, she was part of that company. What were you doing for the Brighton Combination? Acting and writing. Right. And so you uh, carried on acting through... Do you act at university as well? Uh, yes, I did, mm. but I was always a very bad actor. And I like, like so many playwrights. Yeah. Know. Yeah, you can't do it. You get other people to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, um, when so by the time you got to sixty nine, by the time Revenge was here, uh, in the early years of this theatre, had you decided then that it was playwriting rather than acting or directing? Or yeah, anything else it was playwriting. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The uh, and it was because of Bill Gaskell. You see, really, I mean, the court at that time was was very gay. I was. Tongue-tied, you know, lower middle class guy yeah. who, who who couldn't believe, felt completely out of my depth. And it was a con- but he said, "Don't worry, you know." No, I remember Peter Gill. Mm. He wore his hair was down to his bottom. <laughs> you know, I remember thinking, Peter was always very sweet, but they yeah. fought like mad. Yeah, and Lindsay Anderson hated me and hated David. It's because it hated was, our work. It was a it was a combative environment. Oh yeah? my god! It was all kind oh. of Oxford boys. They they used they used to all negotiate to all go on holiday together. So at the same time, so Bill. Anthony Page, Lindsay, yeah. you know, all had to go on Pollard at the same time because there may be a coup if he went away. If you went <laughs> Did you ever meet George Devine? Did you ever? Was he, were you no, around? When, no, no, no. Right. But I got to know Jocelyn very well. Right. Yeah. The um, his his wife. Yeah. And, Ga- and Jocelyn Herbert, the yeah. great designer. Yeah. Designed we, a show I did at the National one eventually. Yeah, she was wonderful. One of the mm. most significant stage designers in the history of, oh, she was brilliant. of British theatre on, on the whole. Yeah. Because inspired by the Berliner Ensemble, she kind of yeah. took, took, the, took the decorative stage away. Yeah, revealed she Revealed the back wall. The white box. Yeah. Reveal the back wall. Yeah. Uh, the actor in space is, is the essential thing in theatre. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, one, wonderful intellect and a beautiful eye, you know. Yeah. The, um, it's interesting that you describe Gaskell as a supportive mentor, because of all the people I understand him, I, I met him only once. Uh, of all the people uh, who I've heard talk about Bill Gaskell, he seems to have as defined a spirit as combat of, as anybody else. That yeah. he, he could be quite aggressive. He was certainly quite aggressive to me when I met him for thirty seconds. <laughs> he <laughs> but, could be. But, yeah. He he he. I I. But I never. I still remember things he said. I remember saying to him, you know, be, being quite, being rather naive, I want to learn everything about the theatre, Bill, uh, you know, lighting. And that. He said, don't bother. He said, don't. He said, don't, don't stay out of the theatre. Come into the theatre with plays. Great. He said, we only know about how to do lights. <laughs> We're theatre people. You should go out in the street and come in to us with news. And I thought that was incredibly good advice. Yeah. yeah and, I, and because of that, I thought, well, I won't get into being a director. I won't try and do that. I'll, I'll take that advice seriously. News, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, are lots, there were lots of things. You suddenly remember lines, yeah. things he said to you. 
he was brilliant with them. I mean, David will say the same, and Christopher, you know. Yeah, and he was supportive of, yeah. Yeah. And and perhaps his support was what led to the antipathy of Lindsay Anderson and... <laughs> well, no, Lindsay, you know, it was, it was a generational war. Right, yeah. And it was because Lindsay was a naturalistic director and a yeah. great naturalistic director. Um, and we were sort of ne- declared we were neo-Jacobeans with mucking, up, you know, mucked up plays deliberately, high and low stuff in the same, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, he hated that. I remember sitting in the offices here when they had thin walls and I was resident playwright and Lindsay was next door shouting about something and I, I thought, oh, Lindsay's shouting about something. He said, fuck, never, not, not this fucking play, not in my theatre. I thought, oh my God, he's talking about my play. <laughs> so eventually, but uh, uh, they held their nerve and they put they put it on. It was, was that? Um, it was magnificent. I was going to say of that, that yeah. magnificence. Mm. I really want to talk about magnificence. I want to go back a little bit and talk. I think it's going back. I might be inaccurate about wrong about that and talk about portable. Yes, it was portable before magnificence? Yes, in the chronology. Yes, portable theatre. I'm fascinated by mm. having read David Hare's autobiography. Yeah. tell me about that company and what what the impulse was behind that and what what happened with that company or tell well, don't I, tell me tell the people I, listening. I think that it, it was a t- the idea was to found a writing touring theater yeah because the fringe was just beginning there were a few venues in london yeah and students would take it, it in and the studio theaters were opening um so the idea was yeah. to tour new, brand new work yeah. only new work um yeah. out of a van and the simplest and most aggressive way we could do. Really. And it was you and that, that was David. And we, da- David, David found it. David right. and Tony Beaker, right. Tony Beaker um, yeah, founded it. Yeah. Snoo Wilson was one of the writers. He was also the roadie. And we'll, <laughs> and, and, and we'll build, drive the van and build the sets. Wow. Um, Where did you go and how were you? Well, how was your work responded to? How did, did it, you take Christian Love on tour? I wrote Christian Love for, for them. That do you remember the writing one. that play? Yes, I do. What do you remember about... Because I could talk about your all of your plays writing them, but talk about that one. Do you remember... What, what do you remember about writing that play? Well, that, that I found it incredibly difficult to write. Because... Um, well, I, I... This sounds silly, but I... Up to then, I'd written um, Revenge, the play that yeah. was on... In, in, no, wait a moment. Am I out of sequence? I, I don't know. I anyway, don't I'd know. written a number of short plays. Yeah. I'd written a trilogy of short plays... Mm-hmm which were being done all over the place by students and then began to be done abroad. But they were comic because I'd learnt this, the knack after yeah. the fear of God after my first play. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. And they were comic. Yeah. And I thought, how do, you, do I get out of this endless gagging? Which I, you know. And I thought, well, you write a play with gags and deliberately destroy them. The, right. the, and that's the way to write about this terrible pathological murderer you know that's the way to do it really wonderful. and so so the play is full of deliberate what could be comic lines which are sort of so awful in their content or so yeah. deliberately mistimed that you're writing a kind of have a tra- it has a tragic edge to it there's a stage direction in that play about it has to be performed slowly yes right? yeah and is that in that yes. same that dramaturgy yeah it was about 30 minute pages yeah. or less yeah. and it will play up 
55 minutes or so, you know, oh. so that's that's what we're doing. So I did see a production page. in German which lasted two hours <laughs> <laughs> because of that direction. <laughs> Just a big mistake. Come on. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> and how was it... <laughs> How was it responded to? How did the, so you took this to work in one's clubs, well, social well, clubs? You took uh, it all. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, it 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 always worked very well because I had the idea of of doing wherever you went, the set will be the same, and hopefully in the round, mm. just like pen of full full of dirty newspapers, old oh. newspapers. Yeah. And Snoo built the pen, and yeah. we carried the newspapers around, refreshing them right. times in in yeah. bags, you know. Yeah. Um, but it was at the Brighton combination right. and I mean there were about four of us in the audience yeah. and one of them was the uh, critic of the Observer huh. who just somehow saw it <laughs> and wrote a rave review of it Brilliant. and after that then the court said oh well, well we'll take it in and it the and court it came, it here, came here, here right? yeah it came here upstairs uh, after, yeah upstairs yeah. and yeah. we were touring it around and the court then revived it later, and so it uh, it had a good life. That play that, it still does. The, it, it's interesting, you know, in two thousand seventeen, talking about that theatre culture where you've got Bill Gaskell saying, "Oh, come and have a job." Yeah, you rock up at the theatre, and the Observer critic is there, and they just write about yeah. it. Yeah, that kind of freedom and creativity. Yes. But and I was I was given an envelope full of money by the Arts Council, like 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 an episode <laughs> of The Sopranos. <laughs> It said we we'll be concerned. It said we'll we we're going to give you a grant, but we thought had you applied said, for a grant? No, you? no. They they just say who shall we award? I mean, it was I suppose. I don't know. It's a completely different notion. And also, the, also the the arts council in that day, those days, the thing was the artists. You support the artist, not the institution. Not the institution. And so you don't have policies for institutions, but you say. What artists and which, what artists are a bit strapped because I was always strapped for money. You know? Yeah, and yeah. and he gave they they gave me a bit of the grant in advance in pound notes, <laughs> you know, saying the grant won't come through. But you said, I mean, that conceivable now. There'll be people who have to, to put have to write an eighty-page yeah. application, don't yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. It's a complete sort of, brochure. Yeah, you need to deliver. Yes. <laughs> I know. The, um, so I mean, I, I hope I'm not idealising it, because I mean, we were really living by the what's the word skin of our teeth, yeah. you know. I yeah. mean, and the sixties are easy to romance, and anyone's past is easy to romance. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you didn't know how you were going to get the next thing on or what would happen, and you had a. It was like walking through war on water, you know. Walking I mean, Magnificence went on here. Yeah. Peter Hall comes to see it. He says, I'll commission a play from you. Put it on in the, the Littleton and David will direct it. And we were barely 30. And this was going to be his first new play in the only theatre it got opened because the Olivier was still unopened. He'd opened the Olivier, the, the Littleton early. And this was the first new play to be put it's on the there. The first new play. Two virtually played. unknown, you know. Well, we're making our way at the court, but you know, I mean that is that is really that is walking on water. And were you see. aware of that at the time? Did it feel like, or is no. it only in, yeah. well? Well, you just thought, oh, great, yes, oh, he's <laughs> he's going to do it, yes. Were you aware of the? I mean, the the cultural phenomena that is the sixties is so familiar now 
to our kind of sense yeah. of narrative, you know, with rock and roll, with the yeah. Beatles, with the drug scene, yeah. with the film scene. Were you aware of the 60s as a phenomenon? With CND, I guess. Yes. Student protest in the universities yes. in 1968. Well, there, there was some up until, up until around 73, 74, um, we were all convinced that the country was very unstable and that, his, that, that, that something was going to happen. Right. That uh, there will be a collapse, or a, you know, and it seemed evident everywhere. Incredible un unrest, massive inflation. Yeah. Inflation got up into the twenty percent. You know, when I was writing a play called the Churchill Play mm. in seventy three mm -hmm. for the RSC. You know, um, yeah. no, no, for Nottingham, for Nottingham. Yeah, and Richard that, that, that it was, and it was a satire on based on a world destroyed by inflation. It was, um, it was, and. Because of what had happened in Paris in 68, yeah, 69, because, yeah, because the when the, they ver the state very nearly went, yeah. you had a feeling of instability. And, and was then that an exciting thing? It, it was scary, but you thought, you must write about this. Your writing must be on the crest of this wave. Right. You felt that's what, you know, so it's all the, right. those early plays are like that in yeah. a way. And, yeah. um, we went over to Holland a lot. I worked for the Mechery Theatre. Uh, we toured Portable Theatre, got a lot of money for finance from yeah. from the great Mechery Theatre, Ritzar Tentake, who was a great man. Um, but then it all went wrong, really. You know. I was thinking, I, I, I want to yeah. hear about it going wrong, and I, just hearing you talk about it. The image of you playing in the bomb site is kind of still, you know, it's like what you were doing as a writer. You're playing in a bomb site still to a degree. But what? So, um, this is. Uh, I want to go back to Magnificence, which was your first commission for the Royal Court. Was it a first commission, or did you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. What was that? No, no. The, it was the second one. Okay, cool. But ma second, Magnificence yeah. was Magnificence was downstairs. Downstairs. First play downstairs. Yeah. What was the? How was the writing of that? Was that because it's an extraordinary play? Um, do you were you writing quickly at that time? What, what, what? No, it took quite a long time. Right. Um, it. It was. It was when when I said things were going wrong. Um, what had been liberate idea? An idea of liberation of changing human nature of 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 you know new new ways of living turn terrorist no mm. um, uh, there was the Bider Meinhof gang in, in, um, in Germany, in Germany. Yeah. we had our own rather sad group called the Angry Brigade yeah. who attempted to bomb the Ministry of Defence and right. succeeded in breaking a window But it, and they all went to jail you know it, and, and I, I remember meeting the, 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 their teacher who was uh, a very decent man has written very well about the theatre and he was crucified with guilt about it. He said, was I preaching revolution to these guys in the wrong way? And, you know, what's happened? You know, communism was meant to be, mm -hmm. you know, a massive sharing, equality, mm -hmm. not... So it was not like murder. the dark side <laughs> yeah. of politics. Yeah. And I, I wrote, um, and you, you felt a kind of, this, this sounds difficult to, to, to grasp, you felt a kind of pressure on you to saying well you talk a lot what action will you take would you take up the gun 
mm. you know, mm-hmm. um, a kind of romantic idea yeah. of, of revolutionary action. And it became, it, it, there was a psychological pressure when you were yeah. on the left yeah. about it. Yeah. And I thought this is, I've hated it. And um, you hated I hated it pressure. and I couldn't, I, I wrote Magnificence to make up my mind about it. Fantastic. You see. And it dramatises the yeah. tragedy of uh, uh, an activist who is um, an admirable guy at the beginning. And he, in the end, becomes a, a bomber yeah. to no avail whatsoever. Mm. I mean, I don't know whether... It, it, was like a, it, was like a, it was like a Western jihadism, really, yeah. that was in the air yeah. with, with, the, with those terrorists, yes. those urban middle-class terrorist groups. Yeah. And there's a great line, of course, from um, Lenin, which is, left-wing communism is an infantile disorder. <laughs> which is what we were suffering from. <laughs> yes, yes. The, um, the National Theatre, for those, you know, my generation and younger, we grew up with the National Theatre as something that exists. Yes. In the present tense, it's always been there yeah. in my kind of conscious memory. You, do you remember the the formation of it, and what on earth was it like having the first new play at the Littleton? I mean, that's extraordinary. Did it feel extraordinary? Yes, it did. Yeah. Um, we we had to cancel the first preview because technically, it, you know, it was quite an ambitious show. Hayden Griffin, a great designer, yeah. no longer with us, um, um, designed it. Mm-hmm. We cancelled the... And, Peter Hall was brilliant, you know. Uh, he he'd said, and "Don't bother." He said, "We said, but we have to turn people away." He said, "Oh no, it'll create a, people will start talking about it. Like, <laughs> they think it's they, they think it's going to be awful, and when they turn up, they see it's wonderful." He said, "It said, you know, as if it's something you do in the theatre, cancel your first preview." To, you know. <laughs> so, um, and um, we're talking now just a week or so after after Peter died. Yes. He w- I mean, I never got the opportunity to meet him. Yeah. What was he like? Was he as inspiring as Gaskell for you? Yes. Yeah. But he was um, he's much more forthcoming than Bill. Bill was always unreadable, really. And, and, right. and there for br- brief conversations with Bill. Right. Because you always felt he, he would help you, he's generous, and then he suddenly got bored and would walk away. <laughs> And it used to happen in his direct shows sometimes. He'd become <laughs> bored with the actors. And, and I th- fear mm. there, there was something perverse about him, though great. You know. but, <laughs> Pete, but Peter was much more, I mean, v- very witty, brilliant speaker, um, t- tremendous hinterland, um, yeah. musical, uh, you know. I think he saw writing as music as much as anything um in opera what, in director what way? I'm really interested well in well he liked he he, he he the 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 fall of language language yes. he, he thought theater is language driven you know yeah um but uh, but he was like a rock of course i mean the, he once once he put his faith in you yeah and he was also on on it i mean he became known as being absent from the building but actually with us he was always there you was know, he there for first run through? Yeah, not, run, no, you yeah. know, run through. He'd yeah. be there, right? And uh, and and um, full of very good advice. It was David Hare directing. Yes, in his autobiography, 
he talks about a sense that he considered himself to be a director more than he was a writer in those years. I mean, I'm fascinated by the relationship between the two of you uh, and the friendship and the collaboration. Yeah. You talk a little bit about uh, writing with him because both Pravda and Brass... Brassneck, yeah. Brassneck were written... Was it the two of you together? Was Yes. It, there was no other writers? No, no. Right. The, uh, I mean, Pravda... I was just listening to Richard Eyre talking about a run-through of that show with Anthony Hopkins giving what he what Richard describes as one of the great pieces of acting he's ever seen in his life. Yeah. It was a rehearsal room run-through yes. of, 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 of Pravda with Anthony. Yeah. How was it to collaborate as a writer? Well, we, we did the shows because they were like the, the, the two subjects. Um, one was Corruption in the North. Yeah. Um, that was, was Brassneck, yeah. and it was a play for Nottingham Playhouse mm -hmm. when Richard Eyre yeah. has taken it over. Um, and the other one was uh, Murdoch, really. Mm -hmm. Not Murdoch, you have to say, for yeah. legal reasons. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> In no sense, basically. No sense, basically. <laughs> but, but about the press. Yeah. And, and, and there the were both shows we say, I'd, I, I don't know how to to write, we both were able to look each other in the eye and say, I don't know how either of us could write that. I couldn't write it, and they would say I couldn't. Mm. But, but together, you can sort of imagine a show right. somehow and force it into being. Did you? So, and, you and so, so in other words, you mm. said, wouldn't it be great to see a play about, the guy's name was Poulsen, a corrupt uh, uh, mm -hmm. local government labour man. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be great to see a play about Poulsen? Great, and, great. Right, let's concoct it, force it into being. And uh, and of course, they're, they're, they're both comedies. And yeah. and comic writing between two is often very good. I it's mean, they make yeah, great so, yeah. partnerships yeah. You know, yeah. in, in, in the theatre. Yeah. Um, I mean, television as well, you think... Kind of and you could do it quickly. Yeah, both great. You could how write. did you do it? Physically, how did you do it? What did you do? Well, with Pravda, I can't read... Brasneck, I remember going up uh, with his first... The house of his first wife we worked on right up in scotland yeah but with the uh, pravda sitting in the same room as each yeah other, yeah with one oh, typewriter well, one, you changed yeah. one typewriter yeah in those days yeah and um you you changed every half hour so you changed typing every yeah. Half. yeah and usually the person who was not on the typewriter had the power <laughs> you know and you swapped but yeah. if but if we do if one suggested a, a, a gag and the other didn't like it, we always dropped it. Right. Oh, yeah. very good. Yeah. But with with Pravda, we rented a, a flat in Brighton, mm -hmm. and David will drive down, and I'll go down on train by train yeah. three three days a week, and we'd sleep in the flat, and oh. and work in the flat, and leave all the manuscripts in the flat, so we wouldn't think about it when we weren't in the room. And that worked a treat somehow, because you went in there and there was this third writer you were inventing to write it, in the curious oh, that's way. that's really lovely. That, which is sort of the process. And the, and, and the third writer being both the synthesis of you, oh, you yeah. and the room and yeah. the space. And you can't disentangle who wrote what, yeah, you see. Yeah, it's very good. And very I don't good. think either of us can remember, really, who, which particular phrase was... Yeah. yeah. The... Um, I love that as a starting point for plays as well. Wouldn't it be great to have a play about? Yeah, to see, yeah. Yeah. Of course, great uh, great producers like Max, Max Stafford-Clark, mm -hmm. mm. can do that. 
he, 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 well, over his career. And with with Epsom Downs, I want is that what play. he did with you? Have you was that the... no, Epsom Downs was my idea. Right, OK. But he often, you know, I mean, many, many of the shows he did, he said, I really want to show about that. Who could I get to write it or Very would good. understand it? Yeah. No, great producing. So is that is that often... I mean, Bloody Poetry is an idea of a right. producer, Roland Rees, who ran a small company called Foco Novo. That's right. And it was his idea, you know. He said, I want to play about Shelley, and I thought, I can't do... And then I thought, oh, Shelley and Byron yeah, and nice. The Exile. Very good. And it was early Thatcher years, and yeah. I thought, let's remind people that our greatest poets Were ended up exiled with their work basically banned by the government, you know. Yeah. So um, you... And that was a kind of impulse behind it. The... Um is that a common starting point for you still? Has it been a common starting point throughout your writing career that that notion, wouldn't it be great to see a show about, or as, you know, because other writers, talking to Robert Holman, I don't know if you know Robert Holman. Yes, I do. And the way he will write will be, he will just sit in front of a, 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 of a blank piece of paper. I think he still writes on typewriter. And, and wait for a character to appear. Yes. Without taking the idea into the room. Yeah. But for you, is, is the idea being... Parallel? Oh, yeah, no, yeah. it always. You know, like, I, I wanted to write about um, the Civil War. Right. Um, a play called 55 Days, yeah. which was on at Hampstead yeah. um, a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, I've always wanted to write about Cromwell. Great. Uh, because Cromwell's been a, was a hero of mine. The great centrist, actually, that's what he was. Great centrist. Centrist, yes. People think he was, the, you know, violent over... Th but but actually, despite his... What he did in Ireland, yeah. he was really a, a kind of trying to hold his left and his right together. Right. Yeah. Like Robespierre, which people don't <laughs> quite realise. Robespierre would... Um, would uh, would do very well in the in the Lib Dems. <laughs> no, he, his policy was basically liberal, liberal Democrat. Right, you know, right. <laughs> which is a curious history. So strange. When know? I when I and Robespierre was always worried about his left and his have right. Have you written about Robespierre? That, well, I've only done uh, done versions of of Danton's death. Yeah, yeah. Um, first for Peter Gill, and then um, um, uh, Michael Grandich. That's right. We did a version. We did Just another a few version. Years ago, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, I did want to write about Robespierre. I wanted it to be a companion piece with Danton's death, and I'd have called it Robespierre's life. But, but I couldn't, I, I didn't get it together. Because it's an interesting trajectory he went on. It's like Jed in Magnificence. He start, Robespierre starts out, you know about this? No. He, he starts out as, as an excellent lawyer. Right. In, in Arras. Right. Um, and people trust him he gets things done mm -hmm. he becomes a deputy yeah you know so yeah. and he, with the goodwill of the local people they vote him in he, he goes and then he turns huh. then under the pressure of france at war of seeing corruption particularly around danton you know yeah, yeah, yeah. and and then the left wing a guy called Herbert, who is a kind of extreme left mm -hmm. trot mm -hmm. of the day mm -hmm. And he thought, these people are going to ruin everything we've set out to achieve. Mm -hmm. And so the purging starts when he gets in, you know. Wow. And it, it, it tips into a nightmare. 
the anal- I'm thinking yeah. about the way you talk about the 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 corruption of the left in the early seventies yeah. as well, and that sense of despair. Yeah. The, the way you talk about Robespierre puts me in mind of you yeah. thinking about the Angry Brigade. Yes, that sense of you see Ro- the ruining Robes- of Robespierre things. did this thing which 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 is a horrible thing in in in, in communism, right. which is that actually that that how do you judge whether a person is really a, for or against the revolution? Mm-hmm. You can only do it by assessing their virtue. And to assess someone's virtue, both by their acts and by what you think of them, yeah. is dangerous. Yeah. And yeah. and that was the Robespierre idea. Once that took hold, you get what, you, you know, the, the, the Maoist thing of yeah. write your confession. Very good. You write the confession yeah. and your confession proves that you don't have virtue. It's brought up against you when, you know, it happened in the Stalinist trials. Yeah, you know? yes. Uh, that, which are basically purge the people without virtue. It's the tension, largely Jewish, I'm afraid. You know, it was a night. It's a nightmare thing that happens in that happened under, yeah, in the Soviet Union. That tension between and and during the um, the Maoist and years, Ma- yeah, yeah. The, 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 the the you or you evoke for me as you talk really, really beautifully the tension between the kind of human impulse and the impulse of the left. Yes. That actually, um, that ideology can't brook the complicatedness of being human. Yeah. And the dramatist, I think, playwrights would deal with the human being. Yes, And yeah. so ideology's a tricky thing. Yes, it is. Yeah, because sometimes yeah. people... <laughs> well, they're not ideologically neat. Yes. <laughs> but you've written again and again about uh, actual people, about, you know, you've written about plays which are fictionalised biography. Yes. And the new play at German Street is is a fictionalized life of Strindberg. Yes. W- w- what is it about fictionalizing an actual life that attracts you? I think it's a, a kind of séance-like thing, hmm. really. Yeah. You know, partic- particularly with 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 Cromwell and the people around Cromwell. Yeah. You thought I mean they were lions, all of them, and they all they fell out. They were lions. Mm. Um, and um, you. you you somehow think their spirit is but this begins to sound rather pretentious but you you you, you think their spirit is still there mm-hmm. if you if you can drum it up no yeah and then you start they start talking sort of in your language uh this does sound weird no it doesn't you know? it sounds fascinating and, and, what, and you and you can you learn they, from them yeah. whether they're actually my constructs or not they probably are you know but so so the writing process of you but, writing something like Paul will say, yeah, which was at the National Theatre yeah. in two thousand and seven, and it's about Paul. It's about the yeah. Apostle Paul. When you're writing speeches, you're yeah. writing dialogue. It's like you're you're channeling an imagined version yeah. of that language. Well, Paul had um, a big had had a, a, an extraordinary origin that play. Well, it was that through the 90s, in the 90s, I, I, I wrote a play called Dr. Love, which no one will put on. And, <laughs> and actually, it's my last play. It's oh. now, unfortunately, dated because it was set in the NHS at the time. And it was about the last day of, 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 uh, of a, a rather dodgy GP. Right. No. Yeah. And I couldn't get it on. <laughs> and, um, mm. and so I was having a... It was difficult in the 90s. I mean, right. you were an old lefty, 
uh, a whole new generation. You know, this happens yeah. in the theatre. Eras yeah. come and go. You can't complain about For it. For sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you can reg- complain about it. Well, regimes change in theatres, don't they? I mean, about we, it. we got rid of Lindsay's generation. <laughs> right. Max came in, then someone got rid of Max. Yeah, basically. exactly. Or he moved on, you know. And that it's mid-90s like, generation yeah, got rid yeah, of them. Off, Ma- off you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, any, anyway, throughout the 90s, I was writing a play which was based on an Italio Calvino story. Yeah. Um, which is a wonderful story about, um, about a really enthusiastic duke um, who um, goes, you know, who runs his estates very well. Mm-hmm. He's very keen on the war against the Turks. Mm-hmm. And he goes to battle with the Turks. And he said, oh, this cannon's very interesting. It's a new cannon, isn't it? And they said, um, sir, do not stand in front of them. The cannon goes off and cuts him in half, right? <laughs> a group of mystical nuns on the battlefield, right, rescue half of him, right? And that half is the bad half. He comes home to his estates, launches a, a reign of terror, right? Wow. Then, a few years later, the good half comes, <laughs> gets rid of him, and everyone has to stop drinking, stop sleeping with each other, because he's good. Right. right, very good. <laughs> a passing Scottish surgeon. <laughs> this is Calvino. Do you love his? Yeah, yeah I, don't, I, I, I don't love know. his work. Yeah, yeah. Great. He um, sews the two halves together. Right. Brilliant. Now, I was trying to use this as some vast allegory about the fall of the Soviet Union. It was, and it was commissioned originally by the Deutsches Theater in Berlin. Yeah. And they threw up their hands saying, and I went on and on writing it compulsively. Mm. I was doing nothing else, really. You know, we were running, we were hitting the Halifax Building Society. And, mm. <laughs> and, tried, and it was going on and on. And I did a workshop with students. I showed it to Mark Rylance. And when he was Mark, running the Globe. When he was running the Globe. And yeah. Mark said, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> <laughs> he said, he said why don't you just dramatise the old, the Calvino story, which is probably what I should have done. Right. Just done it straight with the Duke. Yeah, know? yeah. And and then when Nick Heitner suddenly noticed I was writing for TV, he said, why have you written for the theatre? Write me a play. Mm. I, I didn't know him. He called me in. Mm. And I wrote Paul quite mm. quickly because mm. I had a Methodist background. I would, you know, mm. play to play about the origins of Christianity. When my son, my old, my eldest son, read Paul, he said, "Well, you've written one once, the Split Man. Oh. You've written it. That's what Paul's about, yeah, and it is. Yeah, great. It's actually that play. Yes, the split. That, that I spent ten years trying to do, and I think that happens with 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 writers, don't you think? That we that you have an underground obsessive." thing that you can't, you can't goes get right. on and on and yeah. the interesting thing and then something the it comes that. out yeah that's really in a fascinating. completely different way i know that that happened with uh with that used to happen with edward bond that he would obsess about things well they produce a play that people would tear their hairs out about right. and say what on earth is and if they we wouldn't hear it was their great playwright here you yeah know? yeah um yeah and and he that play would then just be put aside and then you know a great play would appear 
without which is sort of the one he wasn't trying to one, write yeah, would be the yeah, great one. Yeah, 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 which was somehow the echo of the you know. But we, I'm um, uh, I'm aware that we've kind of bypassed the entirety of the Thatcher years, and I really do want to talk about Romans in Britain uh, and other things. But I'm fascinated. You glanced on that moment in the 90s when a generation of playwrights, a lot of writers who I've talked to on these podcasts, people like Joe Pennell and, uh, you know, uh, Jez Butterworth, Sarah Kane, a whole generation of playwrights came and reclaimed this theatre. Yes. Did, were you aware of that happening? How did that feel? Were you? Did you feel pushed to one side or were you excited by it? Or No, I didn't... I didn't really mind, really. Right. No, I, di- I really didn't mind... I had a, the 90s, there was Dr. Love, I couldn't get on. Yeah. But, or, but I did get, um, I did do a version of Goethe's Faust. Yeah. Parts one and two um, for Bogdanov. Yeah. Which right. I thought was a wonderful show, actually. Right. And um, yeah. I, he asked me to take the nine-hour second part yeah. and get a three-hour show out of it. And it taught me so much about Goethe, you know, incredible writing and chaotic. Do you read German? Do you speak German? No, I just because you've you've returned to German writers a few times. I had a literal, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I did that, so I felt I was active. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking, at any day I will finish one once this impossible <laughs> split band play. <laughs> and then you did. And and yeah, but then, it was another uh, play. Well, it then, was Paul. I, yeah, yeah, and when I was really on my uppers for some reason. The Spooks people picked me up. Yeah, tell me t- what, what happened there. Because Spooks is an extraordinary television series, and you wrote twelve episodes or ten episodes. Thirteen. Thirteen episodes. Were but you in series one? I, series one. I wrote half of series one. Yeah. Were you were you one of the originating writers? Or did they... No, it was David Wollstonecroft. Was right. was it was his idea? Yeah. And, and they couldn't get it. They couldn't float it. You know. Yeah. And then the BBC began to get interested in mm-hmm. it, and it still wasn't green lit. Mm-hmm. And they asked, and I'd written a play for RADA, mm-hmm. the RADA students. Was that when Bill Gaskell was working at RADA? N- no. Right, OK, sorry. Yes, he was working yeah. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Roland Rees directed. It was called Kit's Play, mm-hmm. and it was about a modern um, Christopher Marlowe, right. and also had scenes with Christopher Marlowe mm-hmm. in it. No. Mm-hmm. And there was a comic scene with MI5 people in it. And somehow Jane, Jane Featherston... Jane Featherston, who's Vicky Featherston's got, sister. Yeah, yeah, got hold of it, or saw it, yeah. or Mel pushed it her way. Yeah. And she she asked to see me and said, would I write a trial episode, which I did. Yeah. And then off we went. It all worked. Did you enjoy and, writing for Spooks? Oh, mar- it was marvellous. What did you enjoy about it? Oh, the, 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 the credible um, elan of the company. And they were all... Half or a third of my age. Right. And I was already right. in my sixties, and and uh, I, I mean, it really put me on the spot because you had to. It's exhausting, you know. Yeah. Turning a show over like that. How many? How many and, weeks? And did it you have gets to turn shorter and shorter. Yeah. The times to do the what, episodes. What kind of time were they giving you to? Oh, you were doing things in three weeks sometimes right. in the end. Right. You know? And then there's a nightmare of rewriting at, at the last moment mm. that went on. Um, You'd have a read through, a read through, through, and then you'd have five hours of notes, and they wanted all the following morning, and you'd stay up all night. But it was just the energy with which you talk. This part of it thinks that that quite excites you. Yeah, I can't imagine Robert Holman doing that, and I love Robert equally. But but there's something about your energy that's quite the concision of it was 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 great. 
And also you could use any story you wanted, really. You, you would have a conference in a hotel mm -hmm. for a weekend before a new ser series and decide the arcs of the yeah. lead characters. Yeah. And you would say, Matthew is leaving the show. Right. And all the writers say, let me, let me kill him. <laughs> I want to kill him. <laughs> See? <laughs> I, I, I got to kill him. And, and, then, and at last minute, Jane said, he's not necessarily dead, you know. Concentrating <laughs> 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 on bringing him back. But, but that, but then you had the freedom to slot in the, what stories you wanted, really. Great. Great. In the episodes, and you, you, there was a bidding war. A bit it was that I've got a story about X. Mm. Well, we could do that there, <laughs> and you had to turn up with several a bag full of stories. A bag full of stories, which yeah. you brought to the room. Yeah, yeah. How brilliant! Yeah, but the and, energy and, and, of it and, was and not exposing to share those. I've never worked in a writer's room like that. How many writers were working on? There was about four of us. Right around was, and it was never frightening or exposing. Kind of like no, because you're doing your own episodes. Right. You weren't. It wasn't like the American thing where everyone right. is writing. No, it wasn't like that. It wasn't yeah. collaborative in that sense. Okay. No. The but you see, Jane would say, she, she, I remember when we began, she would say, write, write, a, write the story in, in, in three pages. Mm -hmm. Write three pages. Mm -hmm. Then she said, well, do it in one, now do it on one page. Mm -hmm. And then she'd say, right, now at the top of the page, write two sentences with the story. And you think your brain will go, <laughs> and then you take that single page, and when you wrote the episode, it will just open up, you know, concision. Oh, and I think and it's concision I think, of idea, yeah, absolute ideas. concision of ideas. Concision idea. of ideas. Yeah. She's a great producer. The and and somehow when I began to write again for the theatre or got back into the theatre, yeah, at the Globe and at Hampstead, yeah, that hadn't left me. That notion of, that notion of concision of, of ideas, concision in that, right? Uh, at that level, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I could talk to you all day, and we'll actually ignore producer Emily and continue talking to you <laughs> as long as I, as I can get away with you. Um, um, I do want to just, uh, in a way which is parenthetical, to go back and talk about Romans in Britain, which you probably talked to death, and it's probably the least interesting yeah. thing for you to talk about. But it, you know. It was a phenomenon because it became a news story. It's a play about Northern Ireland, which has the brilliant imaginative kind of gesture of dramatising the Roman occupation of Britain at the top in a way which is sexually frank and distressing and physically alarming. And Mary Whitehouse... Well, we'll t you tell us the story, if you can, if you can be bothered. You, it also tells well, you... Well, <laughs> Peter Hall... Um, you, you, the, the, the whole thing in the... Um, in in the seventies of Peter opening the National Theatre, yeah. he was very loud. He attacked the government for you know. He would stand on a table and and, and do an impromptu press conference, you know, at, mm. at some a meeting and say and denounce their lack of subsidy of the arts. This was this. And his idea was always like like at the RSC was that theatre should be public on the nail, hugely entertaining, but also right bang on the news on. Mm. In public life, mm -hmm. and that 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 was why how he redid, you know, the whole idea of doing Shakespeare, which we still adhere to in modern dress. And, yes. You know, although he didn't like modern dress, but it had a modern sense. Mm -hmm. These people are killer politicians. Yeah. They're not parts for great acting. Mm -hmm. They are actual people who are killers. Don't forget that mm. Henry the Fourth. Yeah. You know all those great 
productions. He did at Stratford. Yes. Well, that was his spirit. Now, that really got up the nose of people in government. And he opened, and, and the idea of the, 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 the big subsidised three ring circus on the South Bank made yeah. of concrete. You know, and they hated it. They hated it. But this is a Labour government we're hating it, or was this into the 80s? Was this that? Well, it was, th- it was, it was, it was, it was coming. Right. You know? Yeah. Right. And so Romans in Britain was part of that story. Yes. Do you, I mean, the, the, how did well, that... This, no, this was th- during Thatcher's yeah. era. This, Romans was in 90, wasn't it? I thought it was eight. I thought it was early. Was it 80? Yeah. I think it was... I think yes, it was, it was, yeah. It was, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm jumping all around. No, yeah. mate, I'm the one yeah. jumping all around. No, here, no, but, but, there, but there, was, there was an idea of get rid of Peter Hall, you see. Right. Yeah. And um, a whole silly season launched about it, really. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you remember the, the trial? Yeah. And, and Bogdanov was taken to trial for obscenity... Was it procuring? Well, it was for it was um, under the Sexual Offences Act, yeah. and it was a law to stop men being pimped in public lavatories. Right, very good. For homosexual <laughs> right. acts, right? Yeah. So, in other words, and they, they the way they thought was we can get him on that because casting someone in a play can be seen as pimping them <laughs> <laughs> to perform. <laughs> a gross act in my play, you see, and that's that was where they'd they'd gone. The, the the vice squad had come down three times because Mary had said go, mm-hmm. and said there's no case, and they went through the law of old England and mm-hmm. found that way of getting at us. Yeah, and and um, I mean. You know, I mean, it was a really rocky reception. But the, the audiences held up very well. And yes. Peter said, extended it into a second season because it was doing slightly better than an Acheborn, actually. <laughs> you know, so, so um, you, you know, and we yeah. thought we were through it. And it was near Christmas time and someone, we, we were having a drink in the green room and someone came up and said to, to Bodger, um, someone wants to see you at the, at the stage door. Mm-hmm. And he went down and he was served a rip. And he came back with this envelope, and that then it all began. We thought we were through it. You see, yeah. we were thought we were through a bad reception. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know that the play was beginning to work. I mean, it, the production was pretty raw when it opened. There mm-hmm. was we had a we had a problem with the set, which mm-hmm. was ill conceived. Right, and he spent the 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 dress re, uh, the the previews cutting the set in effect. Right, you know? so so it was a bit raw. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, after it had been playing for a couple of months, you it was in. much better. Yeah, and yeah. Then much better. Did you have to take it off? Did the show have to? No, no. He played it right through to the, right. the end. Yeah, yeah. And the prosecution was dropped in the end, right? Well, it blew up. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, because um, the the judge decided to stop it. Yeah, great. Yeah. The attorney general went to the 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 the, um, the, the, the judge and said, "We have to stop this." This is going to make us a mockery, you know. Um, can I ask you, can I change the subject wildly and ask you about your writing process and ask you where you write by choice? I love the image of you and David going to the flat in Brighton. Yeah. What about now? Where do you write Oh, I, I write upstairs and I have a, a small room at the in top your, of the house. In your I, house, I've had yeah. that for, for, for years, yeah. Do you have a set writing routine? I try and start early in the morning. What time's early? Six. 
Right. And sort of run out. I run out around one or two o'clock. You know, then Pretty good going. Then Six, admin. seven hours. Well, I try. When you're on, on song, you can. Yeah. No. Are you a planner? I like knowing the end as soon as I can. Right. And know the way, where you're going to. Yeah. I've written a new play with for Southampton. And I didn't really know the last scene. And it caused me quite a lot of problems. So I've had a summer of rewriting, really. Okay. You know, um, it's all right now. But, but I do like that. I mean, with Paul, I knew that, that Paul and... Um, that Paul and the Emperor Nero would meet. Mm. That Nero would come down to his cell. I knew we, that's where I wanted to get Lovely. to, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah. knew with magnificence that I wanted... He's, he's going to blow, you know. In, that we're, that we're going to get them in the garden. I'll get the politician and, and the young revolutionary in a garden. And see what happened. Yeah, it's the it's the the confrontation yeah. between the, the mm -hmm. two figures. Yeah, the um, it's the split man. Kind of yeah. Thing, you know? yeah, yeah, which is really interesting. The uh, I, I love what you said about Peter Hall's affection for language yeah. and the musicality, uh, and I'm interested in when you're writing, how conscious you are of linguistic choice. Do you when you're when you're writing? Do you speak out loud? Do you kind of write out loud? As it I were? do a bit. I yeah. do. I do mutter a lot. I yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not as bad as Dickens. You know about Dickens. <laughs> well, <laughs> someone came into a room with Dickens yeah. once. I think it's in in that lovely autobiography. Yeah. Um, and uh, Dickens was standing in front of a mirror, going blah 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 blah. blah. Blah blah blah, acting, right. and then he went straight to the desk and wrote, and wrote it down. down. Yeah, so he was performing. That's why I love him so much. Yeah, I think as a, a performing writer, you know. Um, I do tend to. I also sort of. They get stuck, and I see them in my head, frozen. Do you do that? The characters get yes. stuck. Yeah, and they're just like that. And then you go back the next morning, and then they go. Is it do you is it pictorial for you still? Move. Have you still got yeah, your inner art yeah, student? Yeah. yeah. I need the theatre in my head. Yeah. Specific I, architecture yeah, and specific yeah, theatre. Yeah. So you're writing specifically yeah. for the Nuffield or for yeah, the Hampstead yeah. or the Globe you have or to whatever. See, yeah. Have the, yeah. The, uh, Particularly with the Globe. Yeah. But I do something that Bill said, Bill Gaskell mm -hmm. told me. He's he said, Don't write for specific actors. He said, You think you're writing for the strengths but you'll be actually writing for their mannerisms. <laughs> which is right. brilliant advice, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. That's really lovely. Yeah. The, um, I'm, the question I really want to ask you, because you inspire me greatly, I and mean, your plays inspire me. Your energy I find incredibly infectious and inspirational. And also, we talked about this before the recording started, that as a playwright, I'm 46 now, and I'm very conscious, I really like being a playwright, I really enjoy it. But when I look at the post-war narratives of many playwrights' careers, they kind of stop writing, or they stop writing interestingly, when they're about 38, 39. Yes. And it may well be that I've already written the most interesting plays, but I look at a career I like doubt yours, it. and I'm, I want to know, what do I need to do to keep going? In I way? don't know. I mean, I just had a lacuna in the 90s, you see. I got right. stuck. Yeah. And it was out of the theatre. I think people thought I was dead, you know, and, and you know. And yeah. um, 
I mean, maybe you need that. I don't know. And then yeah. come back. Yeah. I mean, what what's interesting about Strindberg is Strindberg's breakdown in Paris, which, which was undoubtedly a massive moment. psychotic episode. Yeah. Plus absinthe, you know. Uh, um, uh, nevertheless, he was he didn't write anything for four years, and before that breakdown, he he was a naturalistic, basically. Did yeah. the great realist naturalistic yes. piece, creditors, uh, the yeah. father, father, Miss Julie, above all. Yeah. Afterwards, he launched into what you could call the great expressionist plays, yes. dream play, yeah. ghost sonata, uh, to Damascus, and had sort of reconstructed himself in some way. And I think that may have happened to me, being being sort of out of fashion in the nineties, and then writing for Jane, for Jane Featherstone, yeah. had somehow reconstructed me you know yeah. it's just suddenly realizing this really that, that's probably it you know so so you need a really good i need to go to paris so, you know to go to get paris, some absinthe make sure you've got something in the bank yes <laughs> my play ends with him saying actually miss julie's on in burn there's some money in the bank now it's near the end you see so i can stop all this but <laughs> One, but, one, but 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 I think that maybe I don't know. Is that right? I mean, I don't know. I don't know where or what I'm facing. I'm 75 near next month, two months away, and still writing. I mean, well, and still, God knows. Yes. Well, you still, by the sound of it, you're still opening theatres. Not only did you open the Royal Court Theatre upstairs and the National Theatre, uh, now you're opening the Nuffield Theatre in, in, in Southampton. Yes, yeah, yes, thrilling. But there are warnings. Have you ever seen Ibsen's When We Dead Awaken? Yeah, I saw it in Manchester. What did you make of it? I, well, I found it really haunting and kind of... Did uh, you? Yeah, I did. I enjoyed I myself. I it's completely bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> 75-year-old playwright yeah. dies in the arms of a 25-year-old nurse in an avalanche. <laughs> I mean... We're all... That's what I thought, this is... A, I, when I saw it, I thought, this is a warning, you know. <laughs> the, um, what, in preparation for this oh, conversation, uh, one of the things I struggled to do uh, was to find a kind of unifying notion of like the work of Howard Brenton. And I, I kind of want to ask you, what you could you identify other themes that you return to, you obsess about? Do you find yourself returning to myths or interrogating ideas? When you look at Christian Love and, and, and you look at the, you know, the new play for the Nuffield Theatre, are there things which they share which you're returning to? I don't know, but I mean, the key to Christie is the young constable yeah. who thinks that life, it's possible to live a straight, to walk a straight line through life. And I think lot, a lot of my characters are like that. Yeah. They they try they 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 they're on on a straight. They're trying to live a. They're trying to go on a straight path through in a very bent world. I mean, Anne Boleyn was like that. Really, mm. my Anne Boleyn was yeah. like that. She's trying to go on a path, and and the world is so distorted that you know, in the end, she loses her head. But uh, and I think yeah. a lot of my characters are like that. And I suppose there is there is a guy in in. Um, in the Shadow Factory, right. which is the play for the Nuffield, yeah. who won't take what the government's saying about what's to be done in the town, who is trying to go on a straight path and he ends up looking very distorted, although he recovers. You know. So I suppose that's it. It's something like that. In other words, I'm writing about saints. <laughs> Dirty saints. <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> again and again. I mean, Paul's one of them. You yeah, know. of course. Yeah. yeah, and Harold Macmillan as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The Dirty Saints of Howard Branson. Yeah. Howard Branson, thank you very, very much indeed. Well, thank you, Simon. Thank you. Questions or thoughts? Facts? Um, have you found? Are there any facts you researched in the? No, I just had a, a correction. A correction? Yeah. Are we recording the correction? We are. Yeah, very good. Uh, just because uh, pantomime features a lot on this podcast, it, a lot of people it's their first way into uh, theatre. Yeah. And I just wanted to be clear to the listeners yeah. that the character, which might have been uh, heard being called Twinkie, is actually Widow. Twanky. Widow, Widow Twanky, yeah. yeah. Arthur Askey is Widow Twanky. A uh, fictional pantomime dame played by a man in Aladdin. Yeah, very good. Yeah, very good. Yeah, good work. Do you have any questions? Well, uh, just the one thing that I was disappointed that you didn't ask. This is what she does. She thinks yeah. of the questions that I should have asked and didn't. Well, no, because <laughs> when you were talking about writing spooks and you said about how, oh no, it's not like the American way episode writing, I just thought, what is the American way? Yeah. Mm. Oh, that, that's when uh, um, you have a showrunner, a lead writer. Other people will write episodes. The show writer is then perfectly at liberty to rewrite. Right. Mm. And, uh, so, and the other writer has no purchase on their work. Right. So, you know, that's what a writer's room is, it's really. Right. And it always sounds, I always thought it must be really rather ugly. Yeah, I've never yeah. made television really to that degree. But yeah. the, the show and I don't know whether they're doing it. It, they almost began to do it. I think they're kind of almost starting yeah. to do it more with television yeah. now. And the people like Jack Thorne or Dennis Kelly, uh, Mike Bartler, who we've spoken to on these podcasts, will be the equivalent of showrunners on yeah. the, on their series yeah. and have the final. But I say. think I think Mike Bartlett will be writing all of Foster, won't he? Yeah, I would have thought so. He's yeah. got a new one as well, hasn't he? He's just mm. going to be writing forever, Mike Bartlett. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. Kind of, yeah, uh, and, 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 and all power to him for it. It's fun, isn't it, that series? <laughs> yeah, yeah. As long as it's fun, then we keep going. Oh. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Thanks for listening to the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights podcast. If you'd like to listen to more, make sure you subscribe at royalcourttheatre.com or iTunes to get the next episode. You can purchase many of the plays discussed at royalcourttheatre.com forward slash shop or come into the shop at the theatre. Come to the theatre. Come and see the plays. We're at Sloan Square. Come along. Come and see everything. The Playwrights Podcast is brought to you by the Royal Court Theatre. It's presented by me, Simon Stevens, and produced by the remarkable Anushka Warden and Emily Legg.